We are starting a series today entitled, you keep using that word. And um, we're really excited for that. <laughs> we've been watching apparently a lot of Princess Bride recently, and we've been, we, we discussed, I think, last week, just the iconic nature of this particular movie. And I want to share with you a couple reasons why we're starting this series. Um, the first is simply that in this particular church that we have here, we really take seriously into consideration the spiritual journey that everybody is on. And so we've had members over at our house and we've been asking questions. What are some things that God is doing in your life? What are some things that God is uh, speaking to you in and through Spark? And one of the things that has emerged in these conversations is that you all appreciate the willingness and the ability of this community to ask some sincere questions and to wrestle with all of the dynamic things that go on with faith and religion and spirituality. So the kind of the standard categories in which it's, you know, talked about in popular culture and maybe from our backgrounds are things that we're starting to wrestle with. And so one of the reasons why we decided to go and, and do this particular series is because these words that you see up here, like Bible and faith and religion and spirit and um, we could go on and on. We could talk about truth. We could, all sorts of things have a very strong, palpable presence in our community and in the culture. And yet, I feel like Inigo Montoya. You keep using that word. Do you really know what it means? And I've heard from myself, I think, as well as other people, that some of these words are starting to lose their importance in our lives because of how they're being used out in the world. So that kind of shift and change is happening. So with that, I'm hoping that through this series, these words that you see, I mean, I, I was reading some news articles this week again about um, religion, and it had such a negative connotation, a negative tone. My hope is that through this series, we will all together collectively be able to take a look at these words and to wrestle with them a little bit and to infuse them with fresh meanings and fresh definitions. And hopefully that will help you with your conversations with your friends, your family, your coworkers, etc., as you have conversations, because I'm sure that they, um, people t take a look at, hey, you're going to a church or you're a part of a religion, and it has sometimes meanings that they're saying that we don't think are in those words. But hopefully, this will help open up some conversations for you. The second reason why this is important for us is because, in a conjunction with our core values, like rescue and reconciliation. Um, I'm hoping that through this series, as we talk about each and every one of these words, if there's been any break or any tension in relationships or anything that has caused friction between you and a loved one or somebody that you know, or maybe your own soul and your own spirit has kind of wrestled with this, through this series, reconciliation can happen. Maybe we can rescue the word religion from the depths of negativity that is often seen in our popular culture. So through the core values, we want to kind of add those or apply those core values to these words and ultimately frame each and every one of these through the framework of love. Um, oftentimes the word gospel is used and thrown out there 
And one of the primary definitions that you hear is, you know, you have to believe in the gospel, otherwise you're going to hell. Hell and gospel go so much hand in hand that it's kind of like, you know, the gospel hand. You know, you're a sinner and you're going to hell, unfortunately. Now, that's the beginning of the gospel. And we want to ask the question, is that really the fullness of the definition? You keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. Okay, and now for some fun. Because some other things that are, some other reasons why we're doing this series, this might be one of them. Bless his heart. I think he's backsliding. I think I saw him drink. Yeah, but in moderation. I just wouldn't see how much fruit he's on that slippery slope. How's your heart, man? How's your heart? I'm just such a words guy. It was a total God thing. I'm blessed. I've been working on my testimony. Is that secular music? We're opening with a secular song tonight. Wait, is this a secular song? Isn't she secular? Mm-hmm. Which station is the fish? 104.3, the fish. Safe for the whole family. You're a believer. He's saved. I just pray you would give him traveling mercies. Mm-hmm. Pray for all Tyler's unspoken. Mm-hmm. I could, uh, just really like to echo Tyler's prayer, Father. I really feel like I'm being released from this, you know? I'm trying to be relevant. I'm just trying to be in the world, not of it. Hey, do you want to join our small group? You want to join my D group? You want to join my cell group? Community group? Access group? Accountability group? Acts 27 group? Dude, he brought it. He brought the word. That service last night rocked me. They're pretty purposeful. Yeah, it's seeker. Don't they do seeker service there? I feel like he's gotten really watered down. I don't feel like he really teaches the word. There's not enough meat, you know? Are they non and non? We have a great Wednesday night supper. Let's invite some dudes over to fellowship tonight. We're going to have a sweet time of fellowship. <laughs> Dude, we had the sickest fellowship last night. We're going to extreme. Ignite. Yeah, I'm going to ignite. The edge. The dive. The bridge. The ramp. Fire. Courageous. Passion. Echo. Reverb. Noise. Velocity. Drive. Elevate. Radiate. 722. 635. 419. Orange. Blue. Yellow. Green. Clear. Neon. Catalyst conference this year. I don't do that because I feel like it ruins my witness. I'm struggling with that. I'm wrestling with the doubt. I need someone to hold me accountable. I'm really trying to be intentional with her. I'm pursuing her for sure. Trying to guard her heart. Guard her heart, good bro. Will you hold me accountable for that? Yeah, I'll <laughs> Dang it. Crap. Shoot. Not cool. I, I find that offensive. <laughs> now. I can imagine, for those of you who are laughing, this hits a little close to home. (laughs) If it hits close to home, I think things like this illuminate for us what kind of language we're using and what that might sound like to the greater world. Now, this beautiful story that we're a part of is this amazing movement of Jesus that goes out into the world. And yet we find ourselves with things like this, often using internal language to talk about some things, and maybe we should be a little introspective and maybe think about that and what it is that's saying to the world around us. And if it's unfamiliar to you, we also recognize that some of the ways in which Christians have talked may have not been as understanding and as relevant as possibly we should have been, and we probably need to think about that. Another reason, um, if you know this guy by the name of Marcus Mumford, who was recently interviewed in the Huffington Post, um, asked the question, do you consider yourself a Christian? And he answered with this, I don't really like that word. It comes with so much baggage. So no, I wouldn't call myself a Christian. I think the word just conjures up all these religious images that I don't really like. I have my personal views about the person of Jesus and who he was. I've kind of separated myself from the culture of Christianity. And so 
We are recognizing that even those of us who are part of the Christian movement, part of the family, a part of the church, are starting to make some shifts and wrestlings with what do these words really mean? And when I hear people use these words and, uh, and say these things, there's definitions and meanings there that I'm really just not quite certain I want to get on board with. Last reason why we're doing this, this series, is because context is really, really important. And we should stop and pause to think about what are the things surrounding these words that are informing us, that are helping to uh, infuse us with meaning. The example that I like to use, and I've taught before in a, in a college course that I teach, is the example of book. Now, if I were to ask you the definition of book, what would you say is the definition of book? Huh? There's paper in it. It's bound. It's a thing. There's words. It's bound between two covers. What if I did this? What is the definition of book? It means to reserve. What if I did this? What is the definition of book? Some of this might hit a little close to home for some of you. What if I said this? Ryan Jones. <laughs> he has a story to tell about a police officer. So, uh, <laughs> what if I did this? He does everything by the book. The word book doesn't itself have a meaning. It's everything that we do around it that gives the word meaning. And for us as followers of Jesus and as trying to pursue words like resurrection and rescue and reconciliation and love, and we use words like faith and discipleship and all of those other words that we use, gospel, Bible, the definition or the meaning of those words is going to come in how we live, present, and talk about all those words. The context really does matter. Does that make sense? Are you with me? And I think this is what excites me about this series. So I'm hoping three things will happen. We obviously want to spark understanding. Let's understand better what it is that these words are. Let's take a look at their history. Let's take a look at what's, go what's going on and how we inherited. We're hoping that it sparks conversation, that if one of you, in fact, in this room, we will have multiple definitions of some of these words. If we asked you to define Bible or gospel or spirit, you might say one thing, but someone in sitting in the row next to you might say another thing. So we're hoping that this sparks conversation, and conversation can lead to greater depths of meaning and understanding. And then we're also hoping this sparks interest, because I know that there are millions and millions of people, I think, that are completely turned off by anything regarding faith, religion, church, Bible, because of the meanings that have been used. So hopefully and prayerfully through our community, we can have a different voice and a different kind of conversation around these words. Um, N.T. Wright is famous for saying, words are like teenagers. They head out into the world. After they leave your house, they pick up a whole bunch of unruly friends and bring them home with them. And I feel like Jesus, when he launches off his movement, gives us beautiful words like love and grace and mercy and the scriptures. And then they come back home with all sorts of unruly friends that may not have been intended. And T. Wright also says that words are like suitcases. And whenever we use words, we tend to throw them at each other, the suitcases, and say, this is, are you saved? Are, do you understand the gospel? And we throw the suitcases at one another and beat one another up. But maybe instead of the suitcases being uh, thrown at one another and saying, do you agree with me in this. Maybe the whole point of a suitcase is when you get to your destination is to open up the suitcase and unpack what's really in there. 
So, in this series, we're going to meet some unruly definitions, and it might be a little uncomfortable for us. It might illuminate for us some of the things that are going on in our hearts, and then let's hopefully unpack some of the things that are going on in there. You keep using that word. I do not think it means what you may think it means. Are you ready to rock and roll? Okay, let's go. First one, Bible. Let's start with some trivia. Nearly, does anybody want to take a guess? How many Gideon scriptures were given out in nearly how many languages in how many countries last year? Any guesses? Let's start with the first one. 76.9 million Gideon scriptures were given out in nearly 85 languages in over 187 countries last year. That was just by the Gideons International. That's about 2.43 Bibles distributed every second, which is insane to think about. Another piece of data, trivia from the Gideons, close to how many scriptures have been distributed since 1908 when the Gideons first began to place their Bibles in hotel rooms. 1.5 billion Bibles. Now, the other thing that it's interesting to know about the Bible, it's fascinating because there's some economy involved. Now, this is taken from 2007. The economist did some surveys and some analyzations and uh, came up with this number that the annual Bible sales in America are worth somewhere between $425 million and $650 million every year. So not only is Bible business big uh, regarding distribution from the Gideons, it's also profitable, which is why people are getting involved in it. And then Tyndale, this, to me, is a fascinating piece of information. Tyndale did some, uh, a quick survey. The approximate number of English translations of the, Bibles, um, of the Bible since Tyndale's 1526 New Testament is. This one I really kind of want to hear your guesses. What, what do you think are your guesses? How many Bibles have been distributed since 1526? Or, excuse me, how many English translations have developed since 1526? 132. 53, 300, 1,500, okay. This is like Price is Right. As soon as you go over the number, you should probably quit the game. 900, 900 English translations. That's not including all the other languages that are in the world. So, this thing is huge. What percentage of people own a Bible in America? 88%. And 80% say that the Bible is extremely sacred. And 61% wish that they knew it better. Which is why we do things like foundation experiment. And why we do things like church. Because that's what you're here, hopefully, to understand. Now, the question that we also want to ask is, what have we done with this Bible? Or how do we think about what do we, um, what kind of words and um, definitions and how do we use it? Well, one of the most famous ways of thinking about this book that we carry around with us is basic instructions before leaving earth. I think this is probably one of the very first things I ever learned about my Bible, the basic instructions before leaving earth. The word Bible in our culture also has a tendency to mean something very authoritative. If it's the uh, hot rodder's Bible, or it's the mechanic's Bible, or it's the coder's Bible, it means something that is the definitive authoritative rule for all things regarding that particular subject. In Christian circles, we always talk about it as being the sword of the Spirit, which comes from Ephesians chapter 6. And perhaps one of the most popular ways in which we think about the Bible is the magic eight ball. 
dear Bible, give me the answer that I need. Should I go out with her? Should I go out with him? Should I have this job? What should I do? And then you open it up and put your finger somewhere, and hopefully there's an answer. Not, not, a, not in a verse like, you know, Judas went out and hanged himself. You know, those, we're hoping to avoid those kinds of passages when we do the Magic 8-Ball. Now, what's important for us to understand is when we do this, when we understand the Bible in this particular way, We are assuming a couple things about what this book is. We're assuming it is authoritative. We're assuming that it's practical, and we're assuming that it's accessible. Authoritative meaning that it is the foundational, fundamental authority for all subjects for all times. It's practical. It's something that you can carry in your pocket and utilize and use at one particular time or one particular place. And when you need a verse for something, you can pull it out and use it. And that it's accessible. All people, all times, all places can access, access the things that are in this book. What I'd like to suggest, however is that this poses some problems for us if we're really honest and we're thoughtful and we think about what this Bible is. Authoritative. Is it really authoritative on all subjects? And perhaps one of the most complicated and most common and very vigorous debates out there is the authoritative nature of the Bible on origins regarding evolution, Big Bang, creation story, and all those different types of things. And we come into conflict. But, and for many Christians, this begins to raise the question, is it really authoritative on all of those subjects? Is it practical? Well, the problem is, does it turn these really amazing stories into pithy, self-help kinds of things? That it's just simply there, and it's easy, and we can pull that verse. Um, I just finished teaching Philippians at the school, and we talked about the famous Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, which is used frequently for sports and athletics and job interviews and those different types of things. And is that really what Paul was intending when he wrote those kinds of things? And then it assumes that it's accessible, which means that everybody anywhere can understand it. You don't need to study. You don't necessarily need to understand all of the fullness and the history of the Bible. It's just simply there. Let's talk a little bit about what we've done with the Bible. Anybody own one of these, which is a lot of fun. But part of what we've done also is we've commodified the Bible, and we have done different things like value-add. Now, this is Maxwell's Leadership Bible, the Apologetic Study Bible, the Fire Bible, if you're really on fire for Jesus. That's the Bible for you. Celebrate Recovery Bible. This is the Dad's Bible, which means there's a good, perfect plan for you in this particular Bible. There's the American's Patriots Bible, which is, yeah. Okay, there's, there's the Brave Knight Bible for all of you graduating eighth grade and becoming a man. And there's the Holy Bible for those of you who like NASCAR. Um, there's all these different types of Bibles that are out there. Now, what we've done is we've taken the Bible, we've added a whole bunch of things to it. Now we have a whole market for uh, all sorts of different kinds of Bibles. So we've repackaged, we surrounded it with material. These are called value added. Now, just to make sure that we don't leave the teens out, there's Bible zines, there's magazines. Anybody seen Revolve? And just to make sure that we don't leave the kids, the boys out, there's also Refuel. So it's packaged in a Bible magazine kind of a deal. And then there's, he said, what? And there's all, just like regular magazines, little out pieces and all sorts of different uh, articles on how to, how to be a good man or be a good woman, be a good girl, be a good boy, those different types of things. And then just to make sure that we've covered everything, we got to make sure that we include manga Bibles. Because if you can't read the words, then let's take a look at these pictures. And that makes Jesus look really awesome right there. 
And then we do amazing things like the Waterproof Bible, the Jesus Book, the Duct Tape Bible, which I still kind of want myself. Um, The Bible Illuminated, which includes really provocative pictures like Muhammad Ali in certain parts and um, all sorts of different types of things. So we've done some amazing things with this book, repackaged it and made it a phenomenal product. Now, here's where we're going to do some work. If you start to read this book, however, problems begin to emerge. Has anybody experienced this? That if we think that this is a self-help, very simple, easily accessible, practical kind of thing that we can utilize, when you start to read some of these stories, you start to recognize, wait a second, what is that doing in my dad's plan Bible? That doesn't belong in there. What is that doing in in my Celebrate Recovery Bible? Because it's about Noah planting a vineyard and getting drunk. I mean, that seems so anti-recovery. That's not what should be in there. Timothy Beale puts it this way, actually opening and reading the Bible was undermining my belief in it. So what I'm going to suggest to you is that as we do this, and as you go on and begin to ask questions, what we have done in our culture, when we say the word Bible, we're actually not talking about the Bible, we're talking about a concept, an idea, or the icon of the Bible. We're not actually talking about the Bible, the book. And all of those things, and again, not casting any judgment yet, all of those things that we've just shown regarding what we've done with the Bible, we're just simply asking the question, are those things really the Bible? And have we made perhaps an idol out of this thing we call the Bible? Is that what we're doing? As an illustration, we may use the word Bible. We may be talking more about the concept and the idea of the Bible more than actual Bible itself. And here's an illustration of that. You co-sponsored a bill requiring the display of the Ten Commandments in the House of Representatives and the Senate. Mm -hmm. Why was that important to you? Well, the Ten Commandments is, is not a bad thing uh, for people to understand and to respect. I'm with you. Where better place could you have something like that than in a judicial building or in a courthouse? That is a good question. Can you think of any better building to put the Ten Commandments in? <laughs> I think if we were totally without them, we may lose a sense of our direction. What are the technicalities? You want me to name them all? If you missed that last comment, Stephen Colbert says, Congressman, thank you for taking, oh, taking time away from honoring the Sabbath to speak with me. <laughs> now, I want to be very cautious. I'm not making any commentary regarding any politician, but the phrase in there that he says, which is really fascinating and apropos for this teaching, is simply this. If we don't do this, then we're going to lose our moral guiding. We're going to lose our moral stance. We're going to lose something if we don't Uh, display what he has an idea or a concept of what the Ten Commandments are. And if you've uh, been around, well, 
if we take some time to actually study what the Ten Commandments actually are. They're far bigger and far different from a simple code of ethics. And so, you know, you take a look at the Jewish and the Hebrew tradition, this is a a covenant that's being made between God and his people. It's not just simply do this and do this and do this and don't do this and don't do this and don't do this. And so, again, the idea and the concept of the Bible has become a little bit more important in our context. And the caution for us is simply this. When we do that, we may be actually worshiping and following and valuing ourselves more than the book. We may be worshiping ourselves or honoring ourselves more than this text that has come down to us. Um, Just a quick quote that I thought was really uh, appropriate. When we dishonor the text, we don't just dishonor the text, we also dishonor the author. And so if we create a concept or an idea out of the Bible that is really perhaps maybe more of our own making than what the book actually is, then we would be dishonoring the author who we believe to be God. And so let's ask the question, what do we do now? I'm going to suggest three really quick things. Timothy Beale, in his book, The Rise and Fall of the Bible, says this. The cultural icon of the Bible often becomes a substitute for a vital life of faith, which calls not for obedient adherence to clear answers, but thoughtful engagement with ultimate questions. I love that quote. It is, calls not for obedient adherence to clear answers, but thoughtful engagement with ultimate questions. The Bible itself invites that kind of engagement. So for Spark, for us, as we dig into this amazing book, we're hoping that you don't just find answers to all of life's problems and simplicities, but that we together talk about the Bible in such a way as it elevates and illuminates. There are some really major, wonderful, phenomenal, deeply spiritually weighted questions that exist in this book that God is calling us to wrestle with and to discover more about the beauty of life. So a couple things that we should understand. Number one, the ancient people, our our ancestors, didn't have this. The thing that we now carry around that that we call the Bible, they had things like this, scrolls and little letters made on parchment and made on uh, papyrus. And the one on the right, the Codex Sinaiticus, which is the oldest manuscript of the New Testament that exists, when you put the two volumes together, first part of the New Testament, the second volume, it's over 700 pages, 20 inches long, 17 inches in depth, and I forget how much it weighs, but it's just a beast to carry around with you. The concept or the idea that it is all one thing is something that would not have been as ingrained in our Um, ancestors' minds as it is today. So number one, let's think really critically and historically about what has been passed down to us and engage with that and discover some beautiful, amazing things that come out of of that research and come out of that understanding. Number two, um, there's an ancient Jewish, uh, there's a Jewish way of thinking about the Bible, which is a gem. And many of you have heard us say this before, that the Bible is a gem in the sense that as you turn it and turn it and turn it, it refracts different um, rays of light. And so the Bible is not one singular, univocal, this is the only one thing that it says. No, when you come to a story like the parable of the sower and the seeds, 
Um, when you come to stories and parables, your perception, your perspective, your ideas, what you bring to understanding and interpretation is a different term of the gem. And I need your understanding. I need to, I need to hear, oh, you see something in that. You bring an experience to that that I don't bring. I see something in what you have experienced with an engagement in this particular text that I don't see. And together as a community, as we study together, and as Danielle will start the gospel reading groups over the summer, that we're going to now experience this book in a whole new dynamic way. And lastly, the thing that I would like for us to consider and think about regarding this is that the Bible, it's been passed down to us because people all throughout since the very beginning have found in it life. Deuteronomy 32, 46 to 47 says, Take to heart all the words I have solemnly declared to you this day, so that you may command your children to obey carefully all the words of this law. They are not just idle words for you. They are your life. By them you will live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. The phrase there, they are not just idle words for you, is actually the same word, the ancient Hebrew word for empty. They are not just empty words. They are full of life. And so I'd like to make a quick apology for any of us in this room, including myself, in which the Bible has been used, shoved down people's throats, held up on a platform in a podium to illuminate your immorality, to condemn you, to make you feel like you are not adding up or measuring up to what this book or standard has, for anybody who has ever experienced anything of that kind of negative experience, I am sorry. Because the reason why we have this today is because the ancient people, our ancestors, have passed this down because in these words, they found life. And I would love for us as a community to engage with this Bible, to discover all the great questions, to discover all the great fruits, to discover all the great redemptive, rescuing, reconciliation stories that are in there, and to use those and let those words come to life in our community. We can't just simply relegate it to the value added or the kinds of Bibles that are sold. We have to open it up, engage, listen to one another, and let it speak to us and fill us with life. This passage, 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, has been used to describe the Bible as the authoritative word and to have all of that kind of heavy meaning regarding the Bible. All scripture is God-breathed, which is that word inspiration, and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. A wonderful passage regarding the scriptures. Now, this word God-breathed, however, has been used and interpreted in such a way to mean that it is God-given, and so we develop theologies around what the Bible is, that it's inerrant, it's inspired, and we just don't mess with it. It is what God intended, and it's held up as a rule and a standard, and it's held up with, with that, that kind of a objective understanding of what this is. But what if we thought about this phraseology breathed in the full scope of the story of what the Bible has actually shared with us, all the way back to Genesis chapter 2. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living thing. When we say inspired, 
when we say God breathed. Just like God took Adam out of the dust and created something alive, animated, thriving in this world. Can we do and understand the scriptures in the same way? That when we release this book into our community and into the world, life happens. Life happens. I think it's important to understand that all throughout history, receiving this Bible and receiving this, for many people, it's like receiving a gift. If we thought about it as receiving a letter from somebody who is near and dear to us, um, it's like hearing a benediction, good words being spoken over us. I'm actually going to ask uh, Ryan and uh, Abraham to come up. We're going to close with the song. And as we play through some music, I've selected four passages, one from, two from the Old Testament and two from the New Testament that are going to play. And they're going to be words from the scriptures. And it is my hope that as we together engage with this amazing book, that we will read from it the very breath and the inspiration of God, and it breathes into us life. And again, if there's anybody that's ever experienced this book in this oppressive, demeaning, deprecating way, our hope and our prayer is that we take a look at this Bible in a new and fresh way and say, in this, in these stories, it illuminates for us phenomenal questions that can be asked and engaged with. And as we do so, as a community, life begins to emerge. Life begins to get breathed into all of us. There's things in there that can challenge us, change us, and inspire us. And as we soak in and read in these words, may God soak, may God soak us and breathe into us and inspire us, breathe into our hearts and our souls the life that he has for us ever since the very beginning.